I do believe we're living in the greatest time in history. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter. We have the ability to tell our story and find our people. We have the ability to carve our own, our own niche. We have our ability to work wherever we want to work. It is so beautiful, but it will not happen unless you give access to, to let you allow people to have access to who you are and what you're all about. And so that's where you know, like I, I shy away from the personal brand um, being the label, although it's kind of the trendy thing, because like, for me, if you would have told me five years ago, I didn't need a borrow personal brand. I'm like, I'm not a marketer, advertiser. Like personal branding sounds like that's like boring and like awkward and like what? But if someone would have told you like, hey, like you think the power of a, a handshake is important, and your dad said like your word is bond. I'm like for sure. Like every person I've ever worked with, even the ones that like we've disagreed, I've made sure we left on positive terms. Someone would have said you need to make sure that's out there so people could see that when they Google you or they discover you. I would have been open to it. And so that's where I look at it. I'm like, it's not as much personal branding. It's more like press the damn button, put yourself out there and kind of let people have access to who you are. How do you navigate change? It's a question we think about often and one that today's world expects us to be comfortable with. The challenge, however, is where do you begin and how do you develop the mindset and skill set to be successful? Welcome everyone to the Sprint to Success with Design Thinking podcast. I'm your host, Saba Kidwai. Join me each week as I share the stories and strategies from the world's leading researchers and practitioners about why they believe the answer lies in practicing design thinking. It is with great enthusiasm that I welcome you back to the Sprint to Success podcast. I took a little bit of a break to really just work on some projects that had always kind of been in the back of my head while we have this extended time at home during the pandemic. If you're interested in seeing what some of those were, you can head over to my Instagram at askmissq where I've been sharing all of my stories. Now, I almost wanted to start this episode with an apology for not having shared part two of the conversation sooner with you all. But as I went back and I was listening again to the episode, there was almost something really magical about the timing because it's almost like this conversation between Brian and I, even though we had it about two months ago, was designed for this very moment. So if you haven't had a chance already to listen to part one of this interview, definitely suggest that you do that first. In part one, Brian shares his own professional journey and why he believes that this is the greatest time in history and why it's so important for us to tell our stories online, or as he says, to press the damn button. Now you may be thinking greatest time in history, we're going through a pandemic right now, and what Brian's encouraging us to do is really zoom out a little bit and begin to uncover where opportunities might exist and how sharing our story can help us take on some of those opportunities. Brian is a digital futurist. He's currently the founder of iSocialFans, which has helped launch digital and influencer strategies with the world's most iconic brands like Dell, EMC, Adobe, IBM, UFC, Applebee's, and SAP, to name a few. Brian's been recognized as a top 20 digital transformation influencer, a top 50 most mentioned user by CMOs on Twitter, and a top 25 social business leader of the future by The Economist. 
His followers on social media and podcast downloads rank in the hundreds of thousands, resulting in Brian being hired as an influencer for 19 of the Fortune 50 companies. For the past decade, he's been able to predict future trends with great accuracy. And one of these trends is the importance of sharing your story, or as Brian says, press the damn button. In 2018, we saw the World Economic Forum identify leadership and social influence as one of their top 10 trending skills. A few weeks ago in 2020, we saw the mainstream launch of LinkedIn Stories and Pinterest Stories, and we've already seen the significant demand of Instagram and Facebook Stories as well. If part one of my conversation with Brian was the why, then part two is the how. We'll also talk with Brian about how he is leading the way and how we think about virtual events, truly setting a new bar in what we can expect these to look and feel like. Brian attributes his ability to foresee future trends by having a deep sense of digital empathy. I asked Brian to share what digital empathy is and how we might be able to practice this to adapt to life during and after the pandemic and to connect more deeply with our audiences. I I love that you you connected that. And for me, I think digital empathy, you know, it was one of those things where when, when I would hear people talk about empathy, it was always about do this to avoid the technology, unplug to do this. And I went through a lot of those things where I would try unplugging. I remember I unplugged um, for like almost a whole week. I went to a Dave Matthews Band uh, concert weekend in the Gorge up in uh, Washington, Seattle, outside of Seattle, Washington. And I spent this entire weekend, you know, listening to Dave Matthews Band and my favorite band, OAR. And I remember I got home and there I was like, man, I feel like I'm missing out on so much stuff. And I opened up, uh, I believe it was Facebook at the time. And I had a friend that had messaged me and said, hey, I heard you're going to be at the Gorge. I can't wait to catch up. It's been so many years. Let's make sure to catch up. And I was devastated. I had unplugged and I had missed this opportunity to connect with a childhood friend who was in the same place as me. And it, and it sounds kind of like, you know, simple in the, in the concept, but it was like, wait a second, like, I don't have to do all of these drastic things to be able to feel and do all of these things. And also in the last 10 years, the role of the internet technology, our phone has drastically shifted so many things, right? Like I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and a lot of my family, that still lives there. They've never left the state. If they have, they've gone to the shore, right? For a vacation. And so like their exposure to the world is really the people they know in Pittsburgh and the people they see on vacation. I've been to 76 countries. My daughter, my oldest daughter, has Skyped with one of my good friends, a business partner that I had had in Australia. She knows what Vegemite is. And this idea that we are connected thanks to technology and social media, that we are not limited by the fact that like where you live, like, and it, it opens up good and bad, right? Because all of a sudden now we can see into every culture and the grass all of a sudden got really greener because the grass was always greener, but it was always greener by like our friend in the neighborhood. <laughs> and now all of a sudden we get to see everyone's life around the world and, and all of the, the highlights, right? Before it was like, come over to my house and look at a scrapbook of the pictures of my, my cruise. And now it's like, here's my cruise, why it's happening. And you, you know, sucks to be you, <laughs> what you're doing, right? Like, like that's a, it's a different take on it. And so when I looked at like empathy and, and, and really it, well, a lot of it came down to my oldest daughter, she, um, very close. To, I, I mentioned I'm proud girl dad. And my, my oldest daughter, I, we've always been very good at being like, I don't want to shield her from things. Um, but I'm also a, a protective dad. And, you know, I have, I have my daughter's names tattooed to my chest. And I had started sharing that like a little bit more publicly, not like putting it out there, but like wasn't shying away. Like before I would always make sure. 
And um, my daughter had asked me a question about it somehow. I remember, can't remember the conversation. I was like, well, you know, it all comes down to being yourself. And I was like, and I was like, a lot of people are going to tell you that we can change the world. A lot of people are going to tell you that we need to make the world a more empathetic place. I was like, but that's very overwhelming. And when someone tells you that, you don't know where to start. And you also don't believe after a while that you can do this individually, which you can't. Not one person can do this. And the question starts to become like, where do you start? How do you, and empathy to me was always a fascinating one because, and this is something I know we both take uh, pride in. Like I, I listen and consume content and learn way more than I create. And I create a lot of content, a lot of content. I put out a lot of stuff in a lot of different ways. I learn and listen. I have a notebook on my coffee table right now that is it's the third notebook of notes I take watching Netflix. And I will, I will, I will guess, I, I will, this is how geeky I get. Before I watch a show, maybe it's a show that I, it's like trendier, I will look at the description and the thumbnail and I will say, what are they, what are they trying to, comp what's the emotional tie they're trying to get us to feel for this show? Who is their target demographic? What am I expecting from the show? I'll watch the show. Trust me, it's not like I'm just taking, I'm not like, I'll just veg out, watch the show. It'll end and I'll look back in the notes and I'll take my own notes and be like, wow, they played on our fear of missing out. They played on the, you know, the fact that sex sells. They played on the fact that, um, that they called out these other two movies that had this polarizing effect and they went, whatever that may be. And like, so to me, always learning. And like, even like I study how my daughter, when my daughters use my, my iPad, they laugh all the time. They're like, what are you doing, daddy? I'm like, I'm just watching where you put your hands. I'm watching how you, I, I'm, cause I want to know your user behavior, right? Like, and to me that it's, for me, it's predicting trends is so much more about like listening to seeing all of these learning things that are moving on and, and saying, how do I set myself up so that I can be ready when things like, I, I like to say, like, I, I can't predict the future, but I can help us set a plan that gets us prepared for whatever the future holds. Right. And I think that to me, like, I mean, in Mar I, I said this to you earlier, like 169 days ago from right now, March 12th of 2020, my world was flipped upside down. My, my business was um, as, as, as successful as I'd ever dreamed of, it was on a hockey stick going up. Um, and I lost all six of my full-time clients. I lost 18 speaking gigs because of, of coronavirus and lockdown. And within a week, I had people calling me saying, congratulations, Brian. Man, things are like, everyone's going virtual. Everyone's going digital. Everyone's using live video. Like, this is your world. Like, you must be amazing. And I was like, I appreciate your sentiments. And I understand that I look like I'm more prepared, which I love the way you use that. I was like, but let's just remember I use all of these things to sell an offline product. I've never used virtual and live streaming in my marketing to sell an online product, which is what I'm, we have to do. I was like, this is brand new to me. Like, I can, I, I'm going to be good at this piece. I was like, but I'm going to, and I spent the next over 30 days, I went and demoed 71 virtual event tools. Signed up, on, anyone who came up as a virtual event tool, I signed up for their sales demo and, and, and demoed it. And it was a very selfish reason to begin with. I said, you know what? People are going to assume that I'm the best in this space. So I better figure out what the technology is so I can become the best, right? That was like my, my, my thoughts. And then as I got into it, I realized how disjointed and how everyone, in the, even in the virtual event space, was like confused and they were putting the doors in the Lamborghini as they're driving it. And, and so then I just got this like, this curiosity to be like, I'm just gonna discover all of these things so that I can help move the entire space forward. And to me, that's where digital empathy kind of comes in. And I think to me, this also comes into press the damn button, it comes into access. And the thing that I put out there a lot is that if you believe you want to make the world a more empathetic place, it actually starts with yourself. And it, you have to let people be empathetic towards, your, towards you. Because 
if once you start doing that, people then can start to walk in your shoes, understand your background, right? Understand your struggles with ADHD. Like interestingly enough for me, every client that signs on with me, on our first call, I explain to them my ADHD and my struggles. So if they don't get an email from me, reply back right away. I have, they have my cell phone number to reply because I tell them sometimes, I'm like, I get distracted. I mean, Saba, you know that, like even us coordinating things have been a little bit distracted, right? And I'm very blessed. I've, I brought on my speaker agent. I have a team now that's helping me out a lot more, but I'm very open with that. And I can tell you it's the greatest thing I did because now people are like, oh, you work differently. Like, oh, okay, Brian. Like it used to be like, I shouldn't send an email at 1am. I would like, I use like the, that feature that would allow you to send the email later on in the day. Cause I was like afraid people would see that I was up at 1am. And then eventually I was like, wait a second, if they understood that I'm like, that's when I'm most productive, why would they judge me? Right. And, and I think that's where this whole digital empathy um, kind of comes in. But I also look at it and Saba, you and I talked about this when we were in person. It, it's also different for everyone. I am very transparent, very vulnerable, put a lot of things out there. And that vulnerability hurts sometimes. I, I've been judged. There's things that are said. Um, there's sometimes where, like, like I always say, like, you don't know what's too much till you put out too much. <laughs> and then you're like, ooh, like, that might have been, like, maybe I need to, like, roll that one back a little bit. But the thing about that is that if you bring people along on that journey with you, then they feel like this is, we're a team effort. We're learning, right? And so the, the piece that I think that kind of comes along with digital empathy and press the damn button that kind of forms this together is that, for a lot of people, I don't believe we celebrate our success enough. And as Americans, we celebrate a lot more than every other country. We are really good. Americans pounding our chest and saying we are innovative. We are the greatest in the world, right? And then I go to other countries and they're way more innovative. They just don't pound their chest and brag about it <laughs> like, like, like Americans do. But in context as individuals, we get sometimes, and I hear this all the time, like, Brian, I want to tell my story. I want to put this out there, but I don't want to brag. Or Brian... I don't want to, you know, I can't talk about my, my business or my company or I'm not sure where this balance is. And the way that I always like to say is that you don't have to do it any way other than the way that you're comfortable. But the thing that is the, the beauty here is that if, if you're going to talk about something successful that you did, it has to come from a place of how and why you came across that success. If it is only what the success is, it is bragging. It is right in your face and we will not like it, right? Like if I had said like, you know, I was also top 25 social business leader of the year from The Economist. You're like, oh, thanks, buddy. Like, cool. Like, no wonder you're there. But if you learn like these are all the risks and failures and things that I took and all of a sudden I was able to get discovered because I did these things and this is how I accomplished it. You allow everyone to learn with you, allow them to feel with you. And so that's to me is always the line. Like I'm working with an executive right now and this executive's resume Brands he's worked for, consulted with, invested in is, um, are amazing, yet nobody knows. Like literally no one, like his, his closest like, assistant who's worked for him for like five years isn't aware of a lot of the awards and things that he's been, been given because he's always been, so he's like, I'm not, I want my work to do the talking for me. I don't want to put myself out there. And I just said, okay, let's, let's look at each one of these and say, figure out how do we share it from a place of teaching others how you accomplished it. And you just see hit the light bulb went off and he was like, the next day, the four highest accomplishments he had, he had two paragraph story about all of the things that led to it. And I was like, think about how many people you're going to help by putting that out there. And it's a chance for us to be your cheerleader because if you're not your own greatest cheerleader, it's really hard for anyone else to cheerlead for you. Right. And I, and I really think in this world where, you know, like one of my, I'd say one of my underlying pieces that I really focus on is like, I believe the world, we should be less lonely. I feel like we shouldn't feel alone in this world. We're, we're digitally connected. We have the resources. 
but we are, we're extremely lonely right now. We are very disconnected, um, even pre-pandemic. Um, the suicide rates, I believe, should be going down. We should be able to not judge. We should have the resources. People should feel like they're comfortable, but they're not. And I think, to me, that's where my my mission is right like i of all the things that i love to do it's it's not because i want us to have more technology it's not because i want us to be more human but it's because i i do believe that if you like underwater basket weaving and you like doing it in your socks uh you can find your people probably in a reddit on a reddit sub thread of people that that share and what you're interested in right but it starts with us having to be able to put out there and uh, you know I, and we're seeing a really amazing emergence of that right now in our culture with the you know the stands that people are willing to take and uh like you said i think this is a you know place too for leaders that are out there we've always heard like hey i open door policy well open door policy never really worked because i had to go squeeze myself through these little door and i didn't know what was on the other side and it was scary right like when someone told me that open door policy i'm like that just means don't bother me but the door is open right like but the best managers were the ones that came out into the, came out of that door, sat with you, asked you how you were doing. Like one of my, my bosses, we had had some uh, miscarriages with my, before my first kid. And my boss knew about that because he'd had these conversations. And so when I, I was actually in Iraq um, and I found out we were pregnant for the first time. And when I came home, my entire travel calendar was completely changed. And I was traveling like 45 weeks a year. And I'm like, what is going on? And he's like, Brian, I know what you were going through. Um, I made sure that we swap things around so that you don't miss a doctor's appointment for your, for, for this kid. Cause I know that, you know, the struggles you guys have gone through. And to me, all it was like, that was everything, right? It was, it allowed me to be there. Uh, it allowed me, you know, my, uh, every, every doctor's appointment that my daughter had, that my oldest had. And, but it also like reminded me of like this idea of like, where we, Hey, you don't want to miss business and pleasure. Right. And I'm like, it really wasn't business and pleasure. It's like, we have to connect at a human level to understand each other, to have that empathy. And if we're able to, do, we should be able to do that. Like just because we're virtual, just because of the screen, like the talk I'm giving the most right now, like in this new world is called shrink the distance and shrink the distance. The, the byproduct of that is the screen does not make us more distance from each other. It's how we use the things that are on the screen, right? It's how we, how we connect. Like, you know, Saba, even you and I, when we jumped on the call here for this you know, episode, we spent 40 minutes talking about life and like literally off the cuff of like randomness. And like, that is that connection, right? And for all the people that are running virtual meetings right now, when you start off in the meeting, don't start off with the work. Start off... Uh, truly asking and listening how people are doing, you know, mentioning something in the background. Like I'm always a big fan for, I always bring kind of a prop and put it behind me for every new meeting that I have so that I'm like, it's a talking point, right? Like, Oh, like, do you see, you know, like I have a Jeep over here on, you know, on the shelf, like, and we talk, you know, which, what kind of cars do you drive? And you know, have that conversation because that's where I think it's like, like the whole concept of like zoom fatigue right now. Like, I mean, I have a video coming out on this because it's not zoom's fault and it's not, virtual's fault it's the same thing like like how many meetings do we have in person that should have never been a meeting that should have been a phone call or an email but people are like oh we're just gonna have a meeting and you go in there you're like and so we hated meetings well zoom calls became the new version of that right like i had one a couple weeks ago and i told her i was gonna use her as an example because it was bad we get on the zoom call and she's like so i just wanted to confirm like i got all your documentation and we're good to go and i was like did you book a Zoom call to tell me that? Like, there are 70 other ways you could have communicated that information for me. And the one that required me to go sit in front of my computer and turn on my, my camera is not the one, right? And so, like, I think this is that, that thing of, like, we have to allow this technology to fit where it makes sense, but also look at these things differently and how we approach it. And I think digital empathy to me is this idea that let's stop blaming technology. Let's start solving people problems with people. 
and let technology scale and amplify our ability to do what we do best. One of the important aspects of digital empathy and sharing your story that Brian highlighted is the idea that learning through the stories of others, especially those in other countries, is particularly humbling. Leading through change cannot happen in isolation, and seeing how others respond and having a network to learn and share with is a critical part of this journey. This brings me to another point that Brian's going to talk about, that when we think about innovation and we think about how we can make a difference, the phrase making the world better can often feel very overwhelming. Brian recommends that we look around us, what is happening in our day-to-day, and let's start solving people problems with people and let technology scale our ability to do what we do best. As Brian says, we can't predict the future, but we can design a plan to be prepared for the ambiguity of tomorrow. One of the reasons I truly enjoy conversations with Brian is that his ideas are the result of having a design mindset. One of the greatest strengths in this is your ability to empathize. And as I've learned, when you begin with empathy, what you think is often challenged by what you learn. This is truly what allows Brian to be a digital futurist. One we can all trust to guide us as we navigate this complex world. As someone who works with some of the leading brands today, I asked Brian what other future trends he is seeing that those preparing to go into the world of work should be aware of. So I love you brought up we is greater than me. It was actually something I, um, it was a talk I gave at the Pentagon when I was working in the US government. And it was this idea of like, hey, like let's collaborate. And part of, it, it opened up a, a job role that I did not end up realizing I did not want which was they were like, okay, get the army to share their cybersecurity policies with the Navy. <laughs> and I was like, ha, 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 ha. They're like, no, we're not joking. You're on your, go to Fort Huachuca tomorrow. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we've already deployed all the, like if you believe in the power of collaboration and we are greater than me, you should be able to empower these, these managers and these bosses to share. And I, first of all, this is a cybersecurity policy. Second of all, this is the government and like military, like, you know, chain of command and like army, Navy. And, um, and, but I bring that as in the context because the, for me, that was probably 2009 that like, that's where like, but fast forward now, 11 years later, the thing about we is greater than me that I've learned the most is that the me part is what we have to invest in first. And if we are not our best me or our best selves, you cannot be a part of it but a great we. And so for me, when I was trying to like drive collaboration, I worked with IBM and a lot of these collaboration tools around the world. I was always focused on like the collaboration and like, Hey, it has to be mutually beneficial, right? That was like my sales pitch. Like, oh, as long as it's mutually beneficial for here and here and here. But what I didn't realize was the importance of if that person is not invested in themselves and this person is not investing themselves, even if it's mutually best beneficial, it's not going to be the best possible collaboration it can be. And so when I look at that and I look at like this entire picture of where we're going, part of this comes into two parts. There's going to be lots of things that are going to be afforded to you in the business world. In the, you know, we have, I mean, we have everything. Like if you want to learn something right now, go to YouTube university is beautiful, right? Like literally you can learn everything from YouTube university, but there's also something important to understanding like how you can approach certain topics. But there's also something that's always bothered me when someone would say, Brian, I love your experience. I love your story, but the company I worked at didn't allow me to do that or didn't make that happen. And I will put the onus on and say, I never was waiting on a company to do that. I was very blessed. I had some amazing bosses. Uh, like knock on wood, I, I don't, 
I had maybe one boss that was only my boss for about six months that I would say was quote unquote a bad boss, but a majority of, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with my ability to work with them. I, I was actually having a, a drink with a friend not too long ago who worked for the same boss that I did. And I was talking him up and he was like, oh uh, yeah, I didn't have that same impression. I was like, oh, okay. But part of that I think is that we have to take it upon ourselves to learn. We have to take it upon ourselves to drive initiatives. Like one of the, one of the coolest things I ever did as I, I took that uh, help desk job, or not help desk job, the, the data center job after I left the government. And I wanted to make a name for myself, but I wanted to do it. And I was like, so tired. Like this was a startup that had tons of meetings about meetings for meetings sake. Um, and like the meetings ended up being fairly productive, but it was like driving me wild. And part of like my like KPIs and my company or my role was like these meetings. And so I went in the one night, like Sunday night, I remember I went into the office and I removed every chair out of the meeting room, every single chair. I went and hid every chair. And so the team of 12 of us walk in the room and all there is is a desk. I was like, today's meeting is going to take place on our feet because I believe when we sit around and get comfortable, this meeting is a 55 minute meeting and I would like to make it a 20 minute meeting. And I think we can do that by via standing. Right. And I know like the design thing and like the idea of like not only putting people in different places and it became this thing where people started to talk about it. I'm like, do you see what Brian does? Like Brian is the facilitator of thinking different. Brian, well, no, Brian was tired of really long, boring meetings. And I was willing to do something to like to shake it up and you know, be curious. And so I took that initiative on myself. I, you know, the learning piece, like when I raised my hand to go to Korea, like I knew, like I remember downloading because there wasn't YouTube at the time. You know, there was there was YouTube, but there wasn't. Like I downloaded PDF after PDF, and I was reading the entire flight to learn what these tools were. You know, like I remember learning SharePoint, and I was like, okay, I have to, I had to figure out how to install SharePoint. And I like spent hours on this plane to Korea, like installing SharePoint, and then day one, I'm teaching SharePoint to the the military members. And so when we look at all these different moving parts, it is so important to do that, invest in yourself. But then I'd say probably the thing that took me the longest to learn, and I'm still getting better at it at this moment, is self-awareness. And I will even go a little further in self-awareness because uh, it's actually been something I've been tweeting a lot lately, is I have become very self-aware. I was not, I was always confident. I was always very, you know, unapologetically myself, uh, extroverted, willing to put myself out there. But I wasn't truly self-aware in the sense of knowing what I was good at, knowing what I wasn't good at, knowing what I spent my time on, knowing what I didn't spend my time on, knowing where, you know, just because I can learn to do everything doesn't mean I should do everything, right? And I started doing a time lapse of my day every month. One day, I just put a time lapse video, like a GoPro in the corner, and I would go back the next day and watch it and be like, why did I spend, like, I thought that podcast recording was 30 minutes long. But it was 25 minutes of research, 30 minutes of recording, an hour of production, an hour of put, like, like starting to be self-aware. And then the piece about this that I think is probably most important, and this might be one of the ones where I think we can all figure out, is that the key to this we is greater than me, the key to the collaboration, the key, I believe, to teamwork and success is that you have to know what you don't know and then surround yourself with people who know what you don't know. And that's where the magic happens. It's not about surrounding yourself with a bunch of people that know the exact same things as you. I've made that mistake. I, grew, I, I put together this amazing mastermind of all these amazing, great, amazing marketing speakers that were disruptive. And we all got around and shared the same stories, talking about the same thing. And we were like, we're not helping each other do a, a single thing, right? It was like, what? But then once you like became, like, I can be very honest. Like my, my, my poor speaker agent now, like she laughs. She's like, your honesty at the beginning scared me, but it's allowed us to like figure out how to work together. Because I was like, 
These are the things I'm not good at. These are the things I struggle with. These are the things that I will put off to the last minute, but I will accomplish it. But I'm going to let you know that you're going to have to nudge me. And I think that's where I, you know, for those that are out there, right? It's, it's a little bit to the point of like, you can't wait for permission. You have to be, you have, I'm going to give you the permission right now. Like if you're waiting for permission, put your story out there. I, I'm giving you permission. So now you don't have to worry about that. But like waiting for permission, oftentimes being like, well, I don't want to do that because no one's doing it. Or the other thing, which I, which also holds us back. Someone else already wrote a book on that or people are already doing that. Right. Well, there's only one Brian Fanzo and there's only one way of Brian Fanzo doing what Brian Fanzo does. And I've really worked hard at shrinking my circle of influence. And what I mean by that is I used to, I, I follow a lot of people that are my peers in my industry. And I love that, right? I love being connected. But I started realizing that I was letting people influence the way I was doing my business that didn't share in the same version of success that I wanted. I was like, ooh, they're hard selling their, their online course and they're okay with giving only half the value and then upselling them for the other half. I'm like, man, they're, they're really doing, I need to change my way. But that's not how I work or how I live. And so what I started to realize was like all these people that didn't have the same vision I had were shaping how I was doing my business. And so I, I, I mean, I, this is, I, I went drastic. I went, I went super drastic and like just muted so many people in my industry on social media and said, you know what? I need to, there's, there, I'm going to stay friends with all these people. We can, I still want to know what they're doing, collaborate, you know, connect, but there's going to be only a small circle of influence. And I would tell you, that's probably down to like a, a number of nine at the moment um, of people that like, if they're all of a sudden are doing something or they're making a shift or they're talking about something, Ooh, I'm listening and I'm going to adapt. Right. But if, if it's not those nine, I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep an eye on that, but I'm not going to make that, that distinction. And so that's where we, you know, we is greater than me. I think self-awareness, you know, self-care is not uh, being selfish. That took me a long while to um, embrace. And um, you know, I even messed up during coronavirus when all of this happened, I spent the first seven weeks doing all of those demos, being very excited about what this possibilities were. Um, and I didn't mention this before, but you know, one of the worries for me with ADHD and when I was medicated with Adderall is my youngest brother, um, the medication built up so quickly, it changed his personality. Um, so much so where his wife, who's amazing, was just like, give up the medicine or you're going to have to give up on me. Like this is, you are, and my brother is laid back, smart, but it changed him. And that worried me about, I'd never taken medicine on a regular basis. And I, I give credit to my doctor. I had said, like, he was like, I want you to do a sleep journal. I was like, eh, I'm not going to be the person that's going to do that. Like, yeah, it's cool. But I was like, what if I upload my, iWatch, my Apple Watch data to you? And I remember him being like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. And I just signed like 150 pages of paper, like sign away my rights. But I started uploading my, my Apple Watch data to him. Um, and he came back to me like a year later and he said, I have an idea for you to try that I think will help you get over this concern. He's like, you need to take a drug holiday every week. And with someone on Adderall, that's going to be tough because it's going to be a, it's going to be a downward uh, and, a, and, a, and a big spike. He's like, but I believe by doing that, it will give your body a break. It'll give you, it'll reset. It'll also allow you to calculate. And I can tell you, I became very diligent with that. Like very, because I was like, I'm not going to allow this medicine because the medicine changes me, right? I, I spent six months a couple of years ago without the medicine just to prove to myself that I still needed it. Definitely, definitely needed it. Um, but during coronavirus, those first seven weeks, I was like, you know what? I'm dedicated to helping the community. I'm helping everyone. I'm going to change all these lives. Seven weeks I went without taking a drug holiday. And my sleep was down to an hour and a half a night. I wasn't eating well. I was getting these crazy headaches. And I was living by myself and alone. And I was very, like, 
I could just feel like my, my body, I could feel everything like shifting my personality. And it was like, Brian, I was like, what? and I remember having like this talk, like you're, you're doing this for everyone else. Like you're hel- I, I had 47, 47 calls with speakers one-on-one that I didn't charge for a single person that I said, let's get on the phone call on zoom. And I will answer every question about virtual. I'll help you set up your gear. 47 of them. Because I was like, you guys, we all, our space was disrupted. I've been living this. Let me share my knowledge. 47. So for me, I kept telling myself that was me doing so good for everyone else. I could skip my own self care and it was devastating. And I ended up having to take like a week off the medicine. And it was one of the worst weeks I've had mentally in five years because all of a sudden the no sleep, the no eating, I mean, it wrecked me. I was falling. I, I, I was sleeping for hours that whole week. I had, like, it was a very, a big struggle. And when I came off of it, right. And I came back on uh, that, that next week, it was like the, the, it was like shaking me of like, as great as you feel you are going to be for others, if you're not taking care of yourself and making that a priority, like I, w- I, I literally would just, and I, re- and I would feel it every week, I'd be like, Sunday is the day I'm going to do the drug holiday. And I would just be like, nope, you know what? I'm going to create four videos to help everybody else out. That's better than taking the drug holiday. And I, I just kept making excuses and we've all done that. And I, and I share that lesson to say like, I'm not perfect. And this is, you know, I'm learning these things now. And, and to me, that's like, I'm self-aware, I'm confident, I'm confident in putting things out there. But I also have to learn to be, you know, that self-care and that self-prioritization. And so I, I think, I think a young, our younger generation is aware of that, right? Like, um, I'm a, I love TikTok for many reasons. And one of them is because there are some very vulnerable tribes on there that are sharing things that as a college teenager in my 20s, I would have never known what people were going through. And because you can realize that we're not alone and that we are a lot more alike than we are different, people are able to have these connections and like the younger generation inspires me today to keep doing what I'm doing because people you know, come up to me all the time. Like, can't believe how vulnerable and how transparent you are. And I'm like, well, you should see the people that I'm connected with now that are the younger generation that are inspiring me in ways that I could never imagine. So I think we as greater than me is still, is the, is the beauty of this whole thing. But I, I hope to inspire people to look at themselves and say, how do I become my best self so that I can truly help, you know, more people. In that one segment, Brian shares his core values that the world would be better off if we all embraced, all encompassed the idea of we is greater than me. It's one of my favorite quotes from him. So much of what we're currently experiencing is challenging the ways in which we think about each other. Are we able to think about communication differently? Do we have the skills to navigate change? Ross Chapman, who was on a few episodes earlier, asked a really great question that I return to time and time again, how might we work better together? And when Ross and I had that conversation, it was very much in the context of the workplace, but as we're seeing recent current events unfold, it's become more and more evident that we need to ask that question as a society and as a democracy. How we take care of ourselves allows us to take care of others. I'm going to share Brian's video on virtual events in the show notes, and the topic is really worthy of an episode of its own. But I can't leave this conversation without asking Brian why he thinks we need to stop and change how we think about the word interactive. I want to plug a book real quick that also has helped me in this journey. Um, it's called Black Sheep. It actually comes out um, in two weeks. I was lucky enough to get an early copy. Uh, it's my, a good friend of mine. His name's Brant Menzwar. 
And it talks about finding your five core values, which he can call as your black sheep. And one of the core things he put is that you have to put your core values out there to the world as part of like the, the practice because you have to live them, but yet people have to know what they are so that they can respect you and, and operate with you on that. And it's a great, I, I call it one of the, it's the best book I've read on this topic ever. It's a, and uh, I get a lot of friends that send me a lot of books and there's not many books that I'm like, that, but it also helped me in that journey. And I, I, I shared that ADHD struggle that week on Instagram. And it's my most popular Instagram post I've ever had, which is you know very interesting. And it's a very sad looking picture of me on the couch and I've been sleeping on and off for hours. And I took this picture uh, to send it to my girlfriend at the time um, of my struggle and I just put it out there. And I love that you brought it together in that like, it doesn't get easier, but it also, be, the rewards that, that are able, like the conversations that have sprung from that one picture that I posted, that was me putting it out there has allowed me to come very close with some people that I wasn't close with before. And like, that's a big part of that. And you know, the funny thing about interactive, I love that you could kind of tie that in there. Um, so the word interactive or where that all came from is that, you know, I have five cameras here set up in my home office. Um, and as I said, I demoed 71 tools. Uh, I've tried out, you know, multiple different um, presentation tools, all these different things that, you know, people uh, you know, that are out there for us. And, if one could argue, I could probably create the most interactive presentation you've ever seen. But my problem with the word interactive, my problem with interactive being the thing that everyone wants is that we, when, we, when we make that the objective, it's the reason most presentations suck or boring. It's because not everything, I mean, as an educator, this is your space way more than my space, but there are some things that need to be taught where you are just the learner and you take notes. There are other things that are education and entertaining and you, your job, there are some things that should be taught and I should see your face to face on camera. There's other things where there's no reason you need to be on camera with me. And when all of a sudden everything became interactive, like we want this, and then they would, this is the part that really started to sting me was we want this to be the most interactive virtual event you've ever seen. Every one of our speakers are doing pre-recorded videos. And I was like, how are they doing an interactive pre-recorded video? Like you just, and, and like there are some ways to do it. So I'm not saying that there isn't, but th that, that was like contradicting themselves. And we were putting, and what I believe, the reason that this started to really bother me is that we started to blame virtual. And this is what we, our tendency, right? Like we blame social media for making the world bad and like news break, social media didn't make the world bad. It allowed us to have access to the bad world around us and put a megaphone behind it, right? Me, the Me Too movement exposed a bad world that was going on. And you have two options, right? Blame social media or blame the horrible things that have been going on and let's change the world, right? And, and virtual, I was, it, was, it was so frustrating where, once again, virtual events fail to meet their criteria, um, you know, interactive, yet they asked one question at the beginning, you know, because, and, and so what I started to really harp on in that was like, I believe virtual events should be participatory, but they don't have to be, inter every, everything doesn't have to be interactive. Because I do like the word interactive, I, I, but I, if I'm going to build a presentation much like yourself, I'm building it to be interactive and I have to know the technology. I have to know the audience. What kind of devices are they on? Where are their time finds? Like yesterday I was on a call and I was like, it's with the actually the uh, association of retirement. So I'm doing a, a press the damn button talk uh, to their, this retirement group and, and kudos. They, they are amazing. Like they were like, we want to be better on our, our zoom calls with our kids. And like, they have like this whole initiative and like, oh, they're so inspiring. And I started asking them, they were like, they told me all these things they wanted. And I'm like, is your audience ready for that? How many of them are watching on their mobile device? They're like, none. I was like, none, huh? I was like, well, I think we need to survey their audience. 
a week later they come back to me and they're like, so we are wrong. There isn't none. I was like, okay. So like we have to start factoring, you know, you have to have all these variables. And so when I look at like a virtual presentation, I think we, our goal should be to maintain the audience's attention. And when we use the excuse of short attention span or we're distracted with so many things going on, we're giving ourselves a crutch and permission to be boring and mail it in. And that's the, that, cause like to me, like I, I believe virtual is here to stay. Um, I miss the stages. I miss the hugs. I miss all of that. I can't wait to be back on the road on that side, but I I've always, and this is actually goes back to my dad and kind of ties this together as well is my dad reminded me early on. And this was in 2012 on a Google hangout. I was interviewing a, a sales leader. His name is David Meerman Scott. Uh, he works a lot with Tony Robbins now. Um, on the mastery event and I was interviewing him and he texted me my dad did he's like son I, I love all this stuff and thank you for sending me the Google Hangout link which I was amazed he could even figure that out <laughs> and he's like I son I want you to remember that whatever you're doing on social media will never replace the power of a handshake and I read that out loud and I was like most of you are going to think that I'm going to disagree with my dad and I was like I'm actually going to agree 100% but what I want us to look at is that what social media is enabling is us to have more handshakes new handshakes and turn handshakes into hugs and selfies. And, and when, when you and I met in person, it was as if we were lifelong friends and we hung out. I mean, we literally closed every place we were at, like the longest dinner ever. We went and got ice cream, we hung out. Like, and that's the beauty of this connection. And so with me, with virtual, where, I, where I, I really struggle is like, I don't like living in the space of people need to fail to realize what they're doing wrong. Like that's always bothered me. But in the virtual side, I was like, don't say that you need to, if your goal is interactive, yet you're not setting people up to, up to be interactive, successfully interactive, you're going to guarantee to fail. And then if you're blaming virtual events, it puts us all back, right? And I think this is where I also look at it and say, in that same notion of like social media won't replace a handshake. If we just repurpose what we do offline, it's never going to work online. Like virtual, I mean, webinars have never had one impact on a live event, not one, like I've never been like, oh, should I attend that live event or should I just sign up for, like, never. Like, like that, that's be real. It's just the way it was. But I believe virtual opens up new opportunities if we're willing to reinvent it, right? New access to data, new access to information. I do a choose your own adventure talk where as soon as I start off my talk, I put up three pictures on the screen, A, B, and C. And I let the audience vote on which story they want me to close my presentation with. It's completely, I, I let them vote the whole time and I allow them right out the gate, like, hey, you're going to help shape this content. This is participatory, right? And I, whichever story gets voted on the most is a story I end with, right? And, and part of that to me was like, hey, I'm not going to talk about interactive or participate. I want you to, I want to make sure that the story I'm telling is what you want to hear. I would never be able to do that offline. Like anyone that's tried to do like a live polling system in, in like a conference space, it's miserable. Like, like everybody text this number and like, this doesn't work. But online it's so easy right so like when i look at like my advice and the way that i help brands and and leaders now you know i'm coaching a lot of leaders on what is the emotional connection that you want to convey on on video like interestingly enough i have five cameras and five setups here majority of my talks are with two of just two cameras because i'm i'm not using technology for technology's sakes i'm not doing five cameras for so if i use a camera that gives me a wide angle when i'm presenting and i have a camera that gives me a and it's intimate conversation where I want people to feel like we're just chatting, right? Like that's the emotional connection. But I, I want us to be strategic with that. I want us to think about all of these different variables. And so I guess I'm, 
a, a little less anti the word interactive, a little more on us redefining what virtual success can look like. And interactive can be a massive, important aspect of it. But there are very few presenters that are great at interactive. And those that are, kudos to them, right? It's like this whole world of like, put a great YouTuber on a keynote stage and they're not very good, right? Like, like they're not, put a great keynoter on a YouTube and they're not very good, like robotic. But there is a few group of people that can teach across multiple mediums, present information, understand how to do emotional connection. Like for those that watch the, the both Republican and Democrat uh, virtual uh, convention, if you noticed, they show people walking to the camera every time, the depth, right? That why would they, this is virtual, why would they have them walk, like why wouldn't they clip the clip at the beginning? And part of that is that emotional connection, right? We're bringing the, the person to us, like much like we would. A lot of the nuances that we don't realize exist in a lot of the things that we think are great virtual are those things that we do offline that we just sometimes like overlook. And so that's where I focus on a lot of this virtual side. Um, I have a new YouTube channel that is dedicated just to virtual uh, presentations. So uh, it's youtube.com slash Brian Fanzo VX. So it stands for virtual experience. Um, so that YouTube channel, I'm doing a, you know, a couple of videos a week, uh, only dedicated to that as the focus, which is hard for me with usually with multiple niches, but um, that's been a lot of fun. And then uh, brianfanzo.com. I have, you know, virtual event resources. Uh, like I said, everything that I've done in this space so far, uh, I've shared 100% of it open. I'm not holding anything back. I feel like we have to move the needle together to make this all work together. But uh, it's an exciting space. I think we have a long way to go. Uh, and I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll tie it all together. I know I'm probably rambling longer than we planned on. Um, but the, the other piece of this, I think, is that I'm optimistic and excited about the future. And part of the reason that excites me the most is that together we get to shape what the future looks like. The priorities that this is what you were, Saba, you and I were talking about before the show. It's really cool. Like we grew up into a world that was kind of set up for us and we just kind of had to operate in this bucket or this box or this world that, you know, and we, some of us are disruptors and we have nomads, but it's kind of like just the, hey, this is the way it is. We're all going through this pandemic. And part of the, the, the thing that's really scary about right now is that there is no finite end. We have no idea. Like, that's the thing that's so disconcerting, right? Like, we're used to change and we're used to being disrupted by things like terrorism and a lot of things. And it sounds sad that we're used to that, but there, a lot of that has like an ending and it has like a, a view and this doesn't. And the thing that I, the reason I bring that up is I'm excited that we get to shape this future. And whenever this comes about to where we're starting coming back and, and shaping this future, we're going to do it together. But my challenge is that the time for us to invest in ourselves and make ourselves the best is right now. Because we have to spend this time in this unknown time in, in this investment and in, in prioritization of what we're doing, who we care about, you know, making, making sure that we're you know, aligning what we want in life with what, you know, how we're operating at this exact moment. Therefore, when this end comes, right? We start to, to vaccinate, we start to be able to craft what this, you know, like how we work and what working from home looks like. And I mean, my daughter, we didn't have an option here in Virginia. Um, there was virtual school only. So my daughters are virtual school till January. Um, but you know, when these options come back, and so I don't want us to waste the opportunity we have right now. And it is difficult. It's hard, like, because it's just like this, like, I mean, I'm one that I, I haven't gone out very much at all. Like, and I live by myself. Other, you know, I have my daughters 50% of the time. Um, 
but I, I believe it's th that's what excites me is that like we can really move this forward together um, and we have to just invest in ourselves now. So I'm, I'm happy to you know, connect with me on any social channel. Uh, my social is isocialfans with a Z or a Z at the end. My last name's Fanzo. And I, at one point, I don't know if you know this story, uh, I, I loved Twitter at the beginning and I was, because I have no niche, I created eight Twitter accounts. <laughs> And all in the same like month and each one was underscore fans f-a-n-z my last name's fanzo and so i had like um poker fans Steeler fans pittsburgh fans um i had technology fans and then i had iSocial fans and iSocial fans was i'm an apple fanboy and so i for iphone ipad iSocial, and it was social media so it was like apple and social media and fans well little did i know at the time of my eight handles uh, and the one the pittsburgh underscore fans is one i still use to talk pittsburgh sports and like i'm in that world but little did i know like all of a sudden that brand was going to take off and for years no one knew my first or last name they just knew me as iSocial fans they would literally introduce me on stages up until recently um that was like my brand and where it's come and so yeah if you're no matter what channel you're on i mean from TikTok to pinterest to tumblr to linkedin um, I have an account on everything. Um, I don't advise my clients to do that. I, I help them be a lot more strategic, but I'm everywhere so I can help them. So pick your favorite channel, uh, give me a follow there and uh, feel free to reach out. You know, if I can help in any way, uh, connect with resources or people, um, it's, it's my pleasure. And I tell you what, Saba, I, I said I've done 200 interviews. I think you've opened stories and connected stories that I have never shared over 200 episodes, uh, or 200 guest spots. Uh, very much kudos to you. That was, this was a heck of a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. One of my greatest takeaways from my conversation with Brian is that we get to shape the future. How we use this opportunity to invest in ourselves and our skills will be the difference that makes a difference moving forward. The people I interview on my podcast are all the people that I'm learning from that I want you to hear from as well, because I know that they can enhance the work you do and your lives as much as they have influenced mine. Individuals like Brian are really amongst the few that listen to the advice that was coming years ago. I think back especially to organizations like the World Economic Forum and the book, The Second Machine Age where they share that failure by organizations to prepare and adapt could cause inequality and fragment societies. They say while the dynamics of today's world have the potential to bring enormous promise, the challenge to societies, particularly businesses, governments, and education systems, will be to create access to opportunities that will allow everyone to share in the prosperity. I hope you enjoyed this two-part interview with Brian. We'd love to hear your feedback. I'll put all the links to connect with Brian and all the resources that we talked about in the show notes. Until next time, everyone, wishing you all the best as you navigate this challenging time. Take care and stay safe. It's your turn to join the conversation by sharing what you enjoyed or what questions you still have. In a world where time and attention are so valuable, thank you for choosing to listen and for being a part of our Sprint to Success with Design Thinking community. 